Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're talking about the Samsung Galaxy S22 event and some new Samsung chip news. We're talking about the Apple App Store selling knockoff apps, and both customers and developers are getting upset about it. And we're talking about whether or not a new BlackBerry is still incoming. All right. So our first topic of this podcast is the Samsung Galaxy S22 and its potential unpacked event that is rumored to be happening in early February, the first week of February, actually. And there's a couple of things that we might see here. One of them we've already talked about in the past podcast, including a brand new uh, Galaxy S22 series which may include a regular S22, S22 Plus, and an S22 Ultra that may also come with an S Pen, uh, which could be interesting. But another interesting thing about this unpacked event is Samsung is also working on a new chip. We've talked about this in the podcast in the past. Samsung has been working on their Exynos chip line, which they have been using on their phones overseas, mainly in Europe. But there has been rumors in the past that they may switch over from Qualcomm and the Snapdragon line to their own Exynos chips. Now, it isn't happening for the S22. And actually, the reasoning behind that uh, is because their their Exynos chip has been delayed. And this chip is known as the Exynos 2200. Uh, And normally, what would happen then is we would have the Snapdragon chips in North America and then in other markets... Samsung would use their own chips. Now, it seems like maybe this year it might be Snapdragon all the way across the board, and we may see this Exynos 2200 chip debut in another phone later on, Uh, which makes this interesting, as this will be the first time in a long time that Samsung will not be using their Exynos chip uh, overseas, but also it brings into question why this chip was delayed. So like in previous podcasts, we have talked about Samsung does want to switch their phones across the board to Exynos chips in North America and around the world. Reasoning the rumors behind why this chip might to have been delayed is because of the GPU. Uh, It's apparently using AMD RDNA 2 kind of architecture for its GPU, which interestingly is the same kind of architecture that's used in the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, as well as the Valve Steam Deck. Uh, But the issue is that apparently the GPU is causing overheating issues and Samsung needs to kind of dial that in before they can actually release this chip for wide use, which is why it probably won't debut in the S22 uh, line of phones. Now, that being said, despite the fact that the chip is getting delayed, there are still signs that Samsung might want to introduce it in this unpacked event, which could be interesting to see. Uh, You know, they're going to be announcing phones that don't have the chip in it. So it would be weird for them to announce that, but that is the rumors right now that they do stand to announce a chip with the phones. My question to you is, how do you feel about Samsung uh, developing its own chip? Are you excited by the idea that there could be a GPU that's using the same architecture as uh, the PS5 and the Xbox and and the Steam Deck? And also, do you think it's smart for Samsung to announce a chip, a mobile chip that isn't included in their current phones? I don't think it would be smart for them to announce the chip if it isn't coming out in their flagship phones. Mm -hmm. And I guess we're kind of in a strange position too, because, you know, us being in North America, we never get the Exynos branded or the Exynos, you know, powered 
phones anyways. So to us, it wouldn't really make a difference. I feel like it's more the global market that would say, hey, wait a minute, these always have Exynos in them. Why do they have Snapdragons now? So, I mean, like from our perspective, I don't think it's that big of a deal if they don't launch this, this Exynos chip anyways, because, I mean, we wouldn't be getting it. Most of the reviews that are based out of North America wouldn't be getting the Exynos version either. So it's kind of like, it wouldn't change too much for us. I mean, just for the company at large, it would be nice to see them, you know, able to launch it with their flagship phone. Because as we've talked about in the past, you know, it's developing a chip for your own product, for your own phone, for your own whatever it is, it makes your integration that much better, that much easier, right? It's that much, it's that much better marketing wise. It's so much better for the company producing the product Mm -hmm. and the chip that for Samsung's sake, I think it would be nice for them to do. But the fact that they aren't launching it or they, it doesn't seem like they're going to launch it with the Exynos, definitely not a deal breaker. I think really what it's going to come down to is, okay, what kind of design are they going with? What kind of features are they going with? And I guess also, you know, price. I hate to always bring it back to price, but there's kind of rumors that every one of these S22 phones is going to be $100 more than their S21 Mm -hmm. counterparts. And I think part of why the S21s were so, I don't know, so well-received is for what you were getting for them, they were pretty reasonably priced, you know? They're not pixel-level priced, but they definitely weren't iPhone-level priced. Unless you went with the S21 Ultra, then, well, yeah, that's the best phone that they offer. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of features they package into their new phones. And like you said, maybe every phone comes with an S S Pen, which kind of would warrant the... You know, the extra $100 being tacked onto everything. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. If it does come with the S Pen packed in, uh, that would be really cool. And also, you know, the big talk around the S Pen is with the S22 Ultra, which that that's great and all. But one cool thing about the Note 10 series was that they had two sizes. They had the large size that was, you know, standard. Usually the Note is a big phone. But then they also had a smaller version. Uh, they continued that in with the uh, with the Note 20, but unfortunately the smaller version was way overpriced and wasn't a very great. It wasn't as good a phone as, as the rest of the lineup. Um, but if they can actually bring that to not just what they did last year with supporting the S Pen, but also having the S Pen in in the package, that could be great. That being said, it might just be a situation where they all support the S Pen. The curious thing, though, about the Exynos 2200, in the past, a long, long time ago, uh, Samsung's Exynos chips were actually better than the competition. And a lot of people preferred to have that chip in their phones. That has changed. Uh, And in recent years, you know, countries that got the Exynos chip were kind of upset that they didn't get the Snapdragon because generally the Snapdragon had better performance. Now, could this be another change of the guard where we see the Exynos chip kind of leapfrog Snapdragon? Well, we don't really know. The The GPU performance is going to be interesting to see, um, specifically because it's going to be using the RDNA 2 architecture. But there has been some benchmarks that have leaked, quote unquote. Who knows if they actually leaked or if they were 
uh, supposedly put out there. But uh, it was comparing the Exynos 2200 to the Snapdragon uh, 8 Gen 1. I think it's called. Yeah, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. Um, and the interesting thing is the Exynos 2200 actually beats the 8 Gen 1 on multi-core performance, but is worse on single core. So, I mean, there could be a situation where uh, the Snapdragon, or sorry, the Exynos chip is better than the Snapdragon in certain use cases and maybe a little bit worse in others. But this is a similar conversation that we had when uh, Google introduced the Tensor chip, where in some applications it was actually faster than the Snapdragon chip and in others it was actually actually slower. Um, but what really got the Pixel uh, to do really well was its value proposition. I think you brought up a good point. If Samsung does eventually come up with these new chips, but maybe in the S23 series, but doesn't have the value proposition to show that, you know, even if the performance is only a little bit better, there's another reason to get the Exynos chip as opposed to the tried and true Snapdragon. Uh, it could be a hard sell for a lot of people. But yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they actually show. And like we said, this is planned to happen on February 8th, I believe. And the idea is that later that month, S22 series will actually go on sale. Now, like you said, I think it's smart. What you said is absolutely right. It doesn't really make much sense to show the Exynos chip at that conference if it's not going to appear on any phones around the world uh, in that's going to be announced at that unpacked event. So yeah, I, I, it remains to be seen whether or not they actually show it at the February 8th event. Um, but also, you know, expect that the phones will go for pre-order on February 9th. That's the rumors. And that they will actually ship uh, towards the end of the month. So yeah, it could be interesting to see what Samsung actually does. Would you be interested in an S21 phone with an S Pen? Like let's say just a regular size phone with an S Pen, or do you think because it's supposed to be, you know, a more productivity-focused device, do you need the bigger screen like you would get from a Note or even a S22 Ultra? So I really like the S Pen, um, but I think I think what you said there at the end is absolutely right. Even the big size Note phones, I don't really see the draw for me. First, personally, I don't like big phones, um, but even if I did, the S Pen on any size phone, if it's a phone, it's not enough room personally for me for S Pen to be that useful. Mm -hmm. uh, but that being said, I use an S Pen. I'm using it right now. I use it pretty much every day on my tablet, which I think is a perfect use case. And it's on a budget tablet. It's on the Galaxy S6 Lite. It's a cheap tablet. Um, so it, the S Pen doesn't need to be on expensive devices for it to be useful. Now, on I, I, what you said is 100% right. I don't think it's all that useful on a smaller phone. I would much rather take uh, the dollar savings than have the S Pen. That being said, it probably looks good on a spec sheet if you're trying to sell it, um, you know, at a at a, a Verizon or something. Someone walks into a store. The idea that it can support an S Pen is probably a bigger selling point than, oh, it's $100 off if you bought it outright. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think you brought up a good point there because there is also another rumor that this S Pen on this line might be the best performance that we've seen on an S Pen on the Galaxy S series yet because it's apparently going to use the same tech that is in the Galaxy Z Fold 3, which has the lowest latency of any um, S Pen that we've seen yet. 
So yeah, maybe that's what's driving up the cost is they're taking that tech from the Galaxy Z Fold 3 and bringing it to the main Galaxy S line. But uh, how about you? Like, Do you have any interest in using an, uh, a stylus type device, an S Pen on a phone? And would you like to see it on other phones? So maybe iPhone or Pixel in the future? I'd have to agree with you. I, uh, I don't think it would be as useful on a phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, a tablet, definitely useful, but a phone, not as much. And I would kind of agree with you. I don't like, or I'm not used to large size phones, like a six inch, six, you know, 0.1, 6.2, somewhere around there. That's a good size phone for me. Bigger than that, it's kind of, now it's more, uh, it's more of a hassle to use than anything. Mm-hmm. So if I have a stylus, I would want it to be for a bigger screen, more real estate, as opposed to a phone. Now, if you're, you know, if we're trying to, if I have to use it with a phone, I definitely like the sort of the S Pen silo that the notes typically have and that these new S22s are rumored to have. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, just a random S Pen floating around in my pocket or I have to get a separate case to hold the S Pen. Yeah, I definitely like how the note does it. If I had to choose a phone with a stylus, it would be, you know, the typical note way of housing a stylus. But I would much rather have a, you know, a stylus for a bigger screen like a tablet like yourself yeah. than I would on a just a larger phone. Yeah, I completely agree. And our second topic of the day is uh, actually an app store knockoff. So I, I don't know if many people have heard about this, but there's this really popular app right now, or it's not even an app, a really popular game right now called Wordle. And it's essentially like a, a word-based puzzle game that's available in the browser and you can play it for free. It's free to play. But it's become so popular that a bunch of people out there have developed clones of this game and put them in the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store and have charged a large amount of money for them. Uh, One example I'm seeing here, uh, I'm actually referencing a CBC article that one of the games that the cloned games that have been made is selling in the App Store for $29.99. And obviously, a lot of people are getting upset when they pay all this money for this game and realize one, this isn't the game that they were actually uh, were looking for because the, the game isn't actually on the App Store. It's, it's available in the browser. But two, that the game was free to play to begin with and they didn't need to spend the $30. So, you know, it's kind of like this, this interesting conversation. You know, we had earlier last year around Apple talking about how the App Store is like this perfect garden, walled garden of like, mm. hey, we are going to... Have- protection exactly privacy and exactly and that's what what you know developers are paying for with their 30 percent and you know they they need to have all that control on the app store and companies like epic and stuff like that can't take that power away from them because that will negatively affect their customers well you know apple still has a (laughs) lot of control in the app store and customers are still getting upset that being said i don't necessarily think this is apple's fault but I, I do think it's kind of interesting the the kind of story how it's played out here uh, that customers are really feeling ripped off. But I'm curious, have you heard about this story? And what do you think is like the appropriate response for Apple? Should they be refunding people? Should these games be removed? Or should developers be allowed to make clones of, of games like this? Uh, it's a very tricky situation. Um, 
so the game, the original Wordle game, if I recall correctly, it was made. It was made on the web. It yeah. was a web game. It wasn't an app. And the person who designed it, their last name was Wordle, so yeah. they just named it <laughs> Wordle. Um, but he made this fun, you know, kind of puzzly uh, word scramble game. He developed it for the web, and he was focused on making it for the web and giving everyone access to it. I'll try and find the quote now, but his words are pretty much Apple's App Store method is almost punishing people who build for web first because mm -hmm. I'm not worried about monetizing. I'm not worried about, you know, this or copyrights. I'm just trying to create a game that is fun for people to use. And I didn't think I had to worry about copywriting it on the app store. And then the perspective of the person who made the app or one of the people who made the clone apps was, Hey, this is a game that everyone loves. It's not on the app store. I'm going to put it on the app store because why not? Everyone loves this game. Everyone wants to play it. Maybe not everyone knows how to play on the web website somewhere. So I'm going to make it easy for people to play. And then probably one person did it and someone else thought the same thing either after seeing them or maybe they thought at the same time, hey, you know, this is just free game. No one's capitalizing on it. I'm not copying anyone because there is no app. So let me charge $20 for it. And then they start kind of trickling out. So I can kind of see both sides of it. But I guess that's kind of the thing. The world that we live in right now, anything can be copied, right? Yeah. Especially digitally. Especially if you put something on the internet, it can be copied. If you put something on the internet, it doesn't belong to you anymore. You have to kind of assume that, right? So if you are building a free game, build it for the app store, build it for some sort of app store. So at least you have some sort of stake to say, Hey, I was here first on this date. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I definitely feel bad for the original creator. I wish they got some, let's see royalties from it, but it's also, you can't blame the person who didn't originally create it. Cause okay, let's say they never made the app for, for the app store, someone else would have made it. Yeah. This original creator never would have made it. So it's, Hey, there's an opening for a game. There is a demand. There is no supply. So I'm going to meet the supply. I might overcharge for it. It should be free, but I'm going to meet the supply. Right. And so I don't think anyone should get their money back. If you paid for it, you paid for it. You should have known better, but yeah, it's, it's kind of the economy that we're in right now. Yeah. I, I think, this is an interesting one because it brings up a couple of conversations. One, obviously, what is the ownership that the original creator of Wordle has on, on this concept of game? Is, is it patented? Is it copywritten to the point where he could potentially ask for takedown notices from the App Store? Because if they're cloning that version of the game that he has, um, you know, rights over, they would essentially have to maybe license that from him in order to make it. Uh, whether or not that that is the case remains to be seen. Who knows? But it also brings up the conversation of, and this is something that was talked about in the Apple versus Epic trials of, and, and even with um, xCloud, when uh, Apple decided that Microsoft couldn't have xCloud in the App Store and it decided to go through the browser, 
Apple really restricts the capabilities of web apps um, and the ability to place an icon for a web app right on your home screen. Now, I think that's starting to change or that has changed, but uh, it definitely has like a culture in iOS where if you want an app, you have to go through the app store. And I think a lot of Apple customers and Android customers as well, because this is also an issue on Android, not just on on the Apple app store, but uh, we're trained to, oh, okay, there's a cool new app. I'm going to search it in the app store as opposed to, oh, there's a cool new game. I'm going to go to Safari or I'm going to go to Chrome and search it up. That's really not not the, the case for most people. And I, I can't blame a lot of the people who, like, obviously, if I saw the game selling for twenty nine ninety nine, I wouldn't buy it myself. But I can't blame for the for the uh, immediate reaction to search the app store for the game because we're just trained to do that, right? Um, and, and I think that was a big thing when Epic uh, brought the lawsuit up against Google because even though you could still get Fortnite and the Epic launcher outside of Google by by sideloading the APK, they're their argument was customers are trained to go to the app store and that's they're trained that that's the only place to trust to get an app. And, you know, Apple is the same way. They talk about how the app store is supposed to be a trustworthy place. So if if customers believe that these app stores are the only place that they can get an app safely, uh, it might be, you know, a little bit difficult to convince someone to say, Hey, go to a web browser and play this game or go to the web browser and download a web app or, not even download, but just put an icon to a web app on your home screen so that every time you want to play it, you just press that and it will open up Safari to the right page uh, and it will look just like a native app. That's something that that has not been really transparent on iOS in the past or on Android. It's a little bit better on Android, but still not that transparent. So yeah, I, I can't blame a lot of people. I, that being said, I agree with you. Maybe refunds shouldn't be... I mean... Apple is probably going to start processing refunds um, and they've already announced that they've taken down some of the apps that have showed up on the app store, um, especially because there's a lot of them. Some of them are a little bit predatory, maybe not even delivering the game, but just saying, you know, Wordle, I've seen this in the past where you look for an app um, when Fortnite disappeared and a lot of people would make Fortnite looking apps, but just ended up being like, like a strategy guide or something like that and charging like $3 for it. Um, so yeah, that can absolutely happen. So yeah, this, this is a, a little bit of a funny one, but I think it's, it's a cool story to bring back the conversation of, you know, what app stores are doing and are they really as safe as the companies make them out to see? Yeah, definitely a interesting way to look at it. Uh, while we're on the topic of app stores, PUBG also recently, I guess they decided to sue Apple and Google for not removing a clone of one of their games. So, you know, player unknowns, battleground PUBG. Mm. So they're one of the first games I would say that I know of at least that kind of started the whole battle Royale style of gameplay where, you know, you have a hundred people or something on a map and then they slowly kind of, you know, take each other out until there's one winner left. There's a game called free fire game by Garing online. Um, they also have another game called Free Fire Max, and these are clones. They're like legitimately clones of PUBG, not, oh, you know, they copy the Battle Royale style or they copied the, you know, the, I don't know, the character design. This is 
the same, let's say, island that you drop on. Buildings are in the same locations. The buildings look the same. The characters look the same. Even when you open up your menus, everything is exactly the same. <laughs> and it's a carbon copy of the app. And just a couple numbers from, or one number from it. In the first three months of 2021, this copycat game generated more than $100 million in revenue with 100 million downloads. So it's not, you know, not Wordle. There isn't a version on the App Store. So someone decides to make a version and they decide to make money off of it. This is a well-known, successful game that someone just legitimately carbon copied and decided to make money off of it. $100 million in revenue off of it. And um, PUBG is also looking to sue YouTube because YouTube is hosting, you know, people streaming or maybe mm. people post highlights of the game saying, hey, you know, this is a, you know, this is a copy of a game. This is copyright infringement. And you're pretty much promoting it, right? They're promoting it. And there's also apparently a live action movie of this Free Fire game <laughs> that is also on YouTube. So it's, yeah. I would say the not to say that the Wordle clones were completely innocent. Mm-hmm. I'd say I could I could kind of like see their side of it too. This is just complete robbery. Uh to the point where they may actually, I mean, I don't know PUBG's numbers, but like this is such a robbery. They could be more successful than PUBG. <laughs> they have a live action movie. I didn't I never heard of a PUBG live action movie, but I say this is the opposite end of, oh, you know, it's a free market. It's it's so funny that, that you bring that up because I think we were talking uh, a while ago about Tencent and like their, their gaming division kind of like growing and becoming huge. And I'm pretty sure PUBG Mobile is a part of that. I, I can't be entirely sure, but I think it, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, division of, of Tencent Games. Which is interesting because I remember about three years ago, back in 2019, Tencent got in some trouble for making a, a mobile clone of Overwatch. And, uh, you know, they were they were putting that on a bunch of platforms because obviously Overwatch was a super popular game, still is, but there was no mobile version of it. So I, I find that really interesting of like, they started by making clones of of games and they only release those games in particular markets where they knew they could get away with it. Um, like they, they couldn't release that in North America. They'd get sued, but it's funny mm-hmm. how they uh, put in that practice, made a bunch of money. Like we talked about in previous podcasts, the biggest make the most money out of any uh, video game publisher right now, even more than Activision Blizzard, which was crazy, but also now they're getting hit with that with people making clones of their games. So it's kind of like this big circular kind of situation of and it just goes to show the app stores are kind of the wild west as much as as you know google and apple you know want to build this narrative that they're the safe place to get apps the reality is they're kind of the wild west especially in in markets outside of north america which is just it's just funny to see yeah definitely funny to see so it's yeah, I mean, it's tough for people to get in, it seems like, right? But then then there's all kinds of these clone apps and copycat apps and yeah, it's definitely an interesting story <laughs> or in, a lot of interesting stories, I guess. 
All right, and our final topic today is actually about BlackBerry. Um, I, I think we may have brought up BlackBerry once or twice on this podcast in the past. One of the times that we brought it up was the idea that a company was going to come in and take the BlackBerry name, the license uh, that was previously held by TCL, and develop a new new 5G phone with a full Curity keyboard and, you know, the iconic BlackBerry kind of form factor and design. Now, this phone was supposed to come out early 2021. Uh, and we talked about it on the podcast, uh, you know, whether or not we would have thought it was going to be an interesting idea, whether or not people were going to gravitate towards it. But it is early 2022 and that phone still doesn't exist. Uh, well, apparently it's been delayed. And not only has it been delayed, I, I mean, it felt like it probably wasn't going to come at all, like it was just going to get canceled. But the makers of this phone, uh, Onward Mobility, has confirmed that they are still working on this phone. It's just delayed, but they are still going to fully release it. And, you know, who knows what the reason could be. It could be the chip shortage. It could be maybe, you know, they really have canceled the phone and they just don't want to say it yet. But, you know, the reality is BlackBerry doesn't make phones anymore. BlackBerry's kind of dead. They sold off a lot of their patents. Uh, the, the personnel that they had that used to develop these phones doesn't exist anymore. And for a long time, the BlackBerry phones we've seen have been made by other companies like TCL. They have not been made by BlackBerry proper. So the idea that there's still... And, and those phones, honestly, were not successful. Um, some of them were really cool. Like, I personally really liked the BlackBerry Passport. I thought... I still think that that's one of the coolest phones ever made. Uh, but... I know people that still use that. Oh, it's it's such a cool phone. Uh, I, I know, like, multiple people still use it. It's funny you bring that up because I was actually looking on eBay the other day to actually buy one. Because I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, this is... Because it's just such a unique phone that it's just something I would like to have as, like, a history of some of the coolest phones. Another one like that, just go a little bit off topic, would be the LG Wing. The phone that I mm -hmm. think... I think we talked about on the podcast... Not the smartest idea, but for some reason, I just really like it. I think it's really cool. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. So whether or not we do see another BlackBerry remains to be seen. I, I kind of hope we do. Uh, and this Onward Mobility Company, I believe, is based out of Canada, which is uh, also the country that BlackBerry is based out of. So that could be kind of a cool uh, dynamic there. But I, I'm curious. Do you think we will ever see another BlackBerry phone be successful? And... Also, you know, we've talked about in the past, is BlackBerry dead? Is it done? Are we done with BlackBerry? Should they just move on? Um, well, they already have moved on, but should everyone else move on and realize that BlackBerry is actually gone? I, I don't know. I think BlackBerry can be successful, but I, I mean, I guess it really just depends on who they're targeting. Mm -hmm. I think from what I've seen, you know, BlackBerry has, in the past, has been an enterprise phone, right? A lot of businesses, a lot of, you know, corporate entities use Blackberries, partly for how secure they've been in the past. Yeah. It seems like, from what I've read, it seems like this new version of the Blackberry or whatever, you know, it's going to end up being called. They're targeting enterprises. They're tar targeting corporate entities. They could be successful at that. But... I mean, the thing is, I, th I think we mentioned this on our last podcast, right? When we, at the very end, we were talking about laptops, and, you know, what's, 
what do we need to see from a laptop manufacturer and blah blah mm-hmm. blah just you don't need to reinvent the wheel you don't need a flashy phone with a cool swivel bat or you know 12 cameras on the back and it shoots in 3d and it'll you know take you into the metaverse just like <laughs> a phone with a good screen and a decent camera and just make it not be laggy i mean i'm saying all this stuff like oh yeah this is super simple i can do it no i we definitely couldn't make a phone ourselves <laughs> right but like the criteria for what people need on a phone is not that high i would say and i mean some of the renders it's it has a blackberry keyboard which is part of why it's using the name blackberry because people hear blackberry they think it's going to have a good keyboard. So you kind of need to deliver the good keyboard. And I think there's also like, they have the patent to use the Blackberry keyboard too. I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So I think it could be good for if it's targeting, you know, the enterprise individuals, I think it could be good. I think it could be easy to be good for that. But I mean, part of, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think it could be good. I would like to see BlackBerry be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to get to the heights that it was before because everybody had a BlackBerry. But I think if they just say, okay, we're going to focus on, you know, corporations and giving them secure phones that are easy for them to use, I think they could be successful at that. And yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I, so a couple things. One, the keyboard. Uh, my question to you is, what do you? What is your opinions on the BlackBerry keyboard? I personally, the old 9900, one of my favorite phones of all time, I love that keyboard. And I actually miss physical keyboards. I thought it was really cool. I personally type faster on a touchscreen, but I feel like it's more accurate on the physical keyboard. First question, do you miss the keyboard? Do you? Would you ever buy a phone with a physical keyboard again? Yes, I would. But... It would have to be like a sliding keyboard, like yeah, uh, yeah. The, do you remember like the T-Mobile Sidekicks? Like yes, that kind of keyboard, not a keyboard just under Underline. a screen, because then that takes away from my screen real estate, and I don't want a super tall phone. But if it was a regular size phone, and then it could like slide up or swivel up, and then there's a keyboard, a QWERTY keyboard underneath, I'd take that. Yeah, I I, I completely agree, and then. The other thing is, you're 100% right. What BlackBerry's bread and butter was back in the day was enterprise phones. And, you know, I was working in IT around this time. When there was a big switch over from when everybody had to use a BlackBerry at work to when iPhones were allowed. And the moment iPhones were allowed, no one wanted Blackberries anymore because they had choice. <laughs> and I, I remember that switch over of everyone now getting an iPhone at work uh because they could the the one key thing though is what blackberry was really good at was the narrative around security um you know blackberry messenger was big back in that day well guess what iMessage has taken up that conversation um also with apple's new uh vpn service uh which has been in the news lately that's also a big part of how apple has built ios around security we talked about the app store. There is a narrative that BlackBerry used to have that now exists with iPhones. But 
I think you're you're one hundred percent right. A BlackBerry could be successful if they they do things like, okay, we're gonna have a really good keyboard, and maybe it's gonna be a slide out keyboard so that you don't lose um, your touchscreen real estate or your screen real estate. But also, maybe it comes bundled with VPN access so that all of your your you know traffic and stuff like that is encrypted with this narrative around security, um, because that can be a differentiating factor besides just the keyboard. Uh, and I, I would personally be interested in, in that phone specifically just for the keyboard. Uh, me personally, though, I would be fine if they just took the BlackBerry uh, Passport and put some new chips in it and re-released it. I'd buy that in a second. But um, yeah, it's just it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull this off. Uh, the, the company uh, Onward Mobility has been very silent regarding the BlackBerry phone. Uh, so... I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe never see it, uh, considering that it's already a year late. But, you know, I agree with you. I do want to see BlackBerry phones be successful again. Uh, we're at a point where LG doesn't exist anymore. Uh, more, obviously, Huawei is gone. Uh, more competition in the cell, cell phone market would be great. We're, we're the competition podcast. We talked about it a lot. Uh, and a name mm -hmm. like BlackBerry could potentially shake things up if the phone is good. Yeah, that's... A big yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess your dream phone. I guess let's say not even dream phone. Let's say your dream device. Mm -hmm. Is it a BlackBerry with a keyboard? A BlackBerry phone with a keyboard and a headphone jack. Yes. And a micro SD card reader. Or a BlackBerry passport. With a stylus, let's say, but no headphone jack, no micro SD card and stuff, for whatever reason. Definitely the first one. Um, and, and honestly, it's funny. I would love to see a hybrid between a BlackBerry phone and the, the Microsoft Surface Duo. Um, I think that could be... I don't know if, if anyone remembers, but when Microsoft announced the Surface Duo, they also announced a product called the Surface Neo, which was a bigger kind of tablet phone that came with a keyboard that you put over the screen and the software would automatically adjust so that there was a little touch bar above the keyboard and then a full screen, almost like a laptop. I would love for there to be something like that with a duo where there's like a BlackBerry keyboard that could flip up on one of the screens and then you get a little bit touch bar above the keyboard and then a full screen. Because personally, right now, if it had a headphone jack and an SD card slot, to me, the duo, and obviously it wasn't buggy, <laughs> to me, the duo would be mm -hmm. the absolute <laughs> perfect phone. Um, but also it comes down to price, right? I, I don't think right now BlackBerry could release a phone that is the price of an iPhone. And if Onward Mobility thinks that that's what they're going to make, I there's no way that can be successful, in my opinion. I don't know. No, uh, no. But I'm curious, like, what would you need? for blackberry to make a phone that could make you switch to them what what is like one two or maybe three features that you, they would have to have uh i don't think there's a possibility <laughs> at least with this first iteration yeah. that they can make a phone that i would switch to at least this first one like it would okay they're talking perfect scenario mm -hmm. it would have to be let's say six inch you know, six inch display, AMOLED or no LTPO, 120 hertz, like 5,000 milliamp hour battery, 
we need to have, like I said, the slide up screen. So you have a full keyboard, mm-hmm. headphone jack, micro SD, all that. Let's throw a stylus in there. Uh, but the, like the thing that is always gonna, thing that's, that's gonna be, I guess, tricky is they have no ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Blackberry was out before, the ecosystem wasn't a thing. It was, you had a phone and they were a smartphone and there weren't a lot of smartphones, but now everyone's making smartphones. So what really differentiates how successful you are is what your ecosystem is yeah right like we talk we've everyone knows about the apple ecosystem google is starting to build out their ecosystem i guess technically blackberry could be part of that since it's supposed to be running android so they could start pairing with you know samsung watches and they could start pairing with chromebooks and microsoft laptops they could start working into that ecosystem but in terms of like just the device, I, yeah, I guess like a large enough screen, a good enough processor that let's say I want to play games on it. Let's say I want to play Pokemon Unite on it. I could do that. A full keyboard, headphone jack. I guess really a decent camera. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, really that's a good it. one. I didn't even think of that. That's kind of the the biggest thing, right? The screen, if how it functions day to day in the camera. I guess those are really the three things that you need. And then hopefully it's at a reasonable price. I guess, yeah. Screen functions well, good camera. That's really all I would need. But it'd have to be like such a ridiculously reasonable price. Like we would have to have Pixel A series types of prices with yeah. a Snapdragon like 8 Gen 1 chip for <laughs> me to be like, oh, wow, I have to get this phone now. But other than that, it's like, why? That's, I think that's the perfect question, right? Like, and I think that's, I hope that if there is a new BlackBerry that, that comes out, we're not the target market for it, right? Like there are people who love Blackberries and like you said, who will hold on to a BlackBerry because there are no new versions of it. Target them first, but then also you got to make it a niche product. Like you got to do things like, Play up security uh, for people who really care about security or play up, I don't know, you know, what Pixel did is they played up the camera, right? Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, it worked for some people, didn't work for others. Uh, some people still prefer the iPhone camera, but they picked their niche and they picked their their target of what they wanted to go for. And everything else took a backseat. I feel like BlackBerry probably has to do that as well and do that in a market that no one else is really targeting right now. Cameras are saturated. There's good cameras everywhere. Um, like like we said, I don't think they can make a really expensive phone and expect to compete. They got to go budget. So they got to pick one thing that's really important, knock it out of the park, and then hopefully people will flock to it and then slowly grow uh, from there. But I think this first iteration, they need to, like, it has to be security mm-hmm. and battery life. Yeah. I'd say those yeah. two. I mean, performance i mean performance as in like you can't be buggy on day-to-day stuff it doesn't need to run games you don't need to be able to edit videos on it just security battery life and make it it's like make it work smooth and target enterprise target corporate companies and then if you can get into that way then you start working into people's families after that 
but you have to yeah. successfully go okay after corporate so you can get into you can get into people's homes somehow right or or even like small business like hey say hey this is a cheap phone that you can give to your employees because you're a small business you can't afford to give everyone iPhones um i don't know if the, the, let me know if this sounds crazy but what if it's a feature phone what if it's not running android what if it's a phone that has like one of those really you know, lightweight OSs like like the old school LGs and stuff used to have, but has all the functionality of it has a full fledged web browser that works. It has all of the the basic apps that come with everyone's phone available on it. But because it's not a smartphone running Android, it can have a battery life that can last four days like old phones used to. Do you think that's something that they could get away with? Or are we past that point where feature phones could definitely not exist anymore? You better sell that for $50. <laughs> There's no way you could they could get that into people's hands. Not a chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even if you just think of, if you think of just how people's lives function, right? Like, mm. you need a browser, you need internet, you need Instagram, some sort of direct messaging. TikTok. Well, not even not even that, right? Like, if you think, okay, this is a business. I need to communicate with people. I probably are already have a Slack channel. I probably mm -hmm. have like a Gmail that I need easy access to. True. If it's not running Android or, you know, some, I don't know what other certified software, you can't get just those simple communication apps, which yeah. would be kind of, you know, hamstringing your business unless they're really trying to bring back BlackBerry Messenger, then yeah, maybe they can <laughs> do it. But it needs to be somewhat smart of a device, somewhat of a smart device. True. I, maybe the middle ground there is then Android One, the lightweight version of Android. Um, because yeah, I think you're right. If they do uh, release a phone that has crazy battery life, um, which is hard to do with modern day smartphones, yeah, that could be a huge selling point. That's that's something that a lot of people they're putting big batteries in phones, but really battery life is still a one day on all phones. If they can release a new yeah, BlackBerry, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is right. Like remember when uh, iPhones used to have like a twenty three. 100 milliamp hour battery um and now you know they have batteries that are way larger but i guess because screens are bigger and stuff like that and the processors are more power hungry but yeah if they could release a phone that could last three four days on a charge because it's running a lightweight version of android that could be really cool too along with having a keyboard and having really tightened down security and a good price so that you know corporations and companies can give them to their employees for a relatively reasonable cost maybe that's that's a blackberry becoming relevant again but still i think i think you're right it's it's kind of a long shot yeah definitely a long shot i mean hopefully they can pull it off once again it's something we'll uh, have to wait and see yeah yeah we'll wait and see uh, take it easy everyone in podcast land catch you in the next episode